Every year since 1985, the Hepatitis B Foundation has coordinated the International HBV Meeting, a multi-day scientific conference. The 2023 meeting was held last September in Kobe, Japan. I'm Ed Tate, Communications Director for the Foundation. In this podcast, I speak with three people who participated in the Japan meeting. They are Dr. Masamichi Muramatsu with Japan's Foundation for Biomedical Research and Innovation at the Kobe National Institute for Infectious Diseases. Dr. Luca Giudati of Italy's San Rafael University and Hospital and the Scripps Research Institute in California. And Dr. Barbara Testoni with the Cancer Research Center of Lyon, France, and a member of the Hepatitis B Foundation's Emerging Scholars Scientific and Medical Advisory Board. First, Dr. Muramatsu. Masamichi, give me your Full name and your title, please. Hi, this is Masamichi Muramatsu, a director and professor in the Foundation for the Biomedical Research and Innovation at Kobe. And I'm a HBB basic scientist. And you co-chaired the excellent meeting that we held recently in Kobe. Ah, I forgot to tell you that. Yes, uh, thank you very much. And Koichi uh, Watashi in NIID, and I had done the HBB meeting as a co-chair. Uh, yes. And the first question, I think naturally, how was the international HBV meeting in Kobe that was held from the 19th to the 23rd of September? How did it go? Yes, I was so glad to see that. Almost 500 attendees from many countries came to Kobe and participated in the Kobe HBB meeting. To tell you the truth, I'm a little bit relieved because all the programs were mostly successfully without any critical problem. So I would like to once again thank everybody who attended to the uh, Kobe meeting. That was a very good turnout. Do you feel that holding the meeting in Japan was helpful to your work in any way? Yes, yes. I'm sure of it. I enjoyed the discussion during this meeting, and moreover, I was inspired by many breakthrough presentations. In addition, so many Japanese colleagues uh, joined this meeting, and they seemed to be quite satisfied with this meeting because of its quality of science. What do you feel were the two or three most important topics that were discussed at the meeting? Well, since I'm a basic HPV researcher, so I mostly focus the session of basic science. So I found many nice novel findings, especially in immunology, viral entry, CCCDNA study, and the development of novel animal models. I believe that may, they may significantly contribute to HPV scientific field. We this time chose the study of Dr. Stefan Meyer uh, from Princeton University as the best oral presentation award. In her study, a missing player of HBB replication in mice was finally identified, which would be the one step forward to be development for development of the mouse models. 
Yes, I know from talking to other scientists that the challenge of having a good, effective mouse model has been very important to HPV research. Yeah, yeah. Right.、Um, yeah. That was a very nice,、uh, good job. Yep.、Yeah. So, are you optimistic about the prospect of developing effective treatments for hepatitis B in the next few years? Well, I'm a basic researcher, so I'm not able to predict such treatment. However, I hope that those will happen in the near future, at least at the level of preclinical study. Certainly, certainly. And I wonder, in closing, is there anything else you would like to say to the hepatitis B community about this meeting that was held in Kobe? Yes, I have. The Kobe meeting was the first HPV meeting which was held in Japan. As far as I'm aware, the patient forum in this meeting was the first conference in Japan in which HPV researchers and people living with HPV got together in the same conference room and discussed various aspects of HPV, hepatitis B. Therefore, the Kobe meeting provided a valuable and unique opportunity for both HBB scientists and people living with HBB in Japan. I'm honored to have been involved in the preparation of the patient forum. Thank you. And thank you, Professor Maramatsu. It was a pleasure speaking with you, and, and thank you very much for your efforts in making a successful meeting. It has been my pleasure and thank you very much. My name is Luca Guidotti and、uh, I am a professor of pathology at the University Research Hospital Sara Fele in Milan, Italy. I'm also the deputy scientific director of the Sara Fele Hospital, always in Milan, Italy. And I've been working for many years, more than 20 years. At the Scripps Research Institute in La Jolla, California. You're still affiliated with Scripps, correct? I'm still an adjunct professor at the Scripps Research Institute. Marvelous. And the committee organizing the international meeting is honoring you at this year's meeting. That's, yes.、Uh, that's quite an honor. <laughs> this is a true honor to be, because to me, this is the most important award. Because it's given by my own scientific community, and so there's no better award for me. What do you feel like is the honor that, that most, I mean, the accomplishment scientifically that led the, the committee to choose you for this award? When at the beginning of my、uh, life in HPV at Scripps, I was very fortunate that because, along with Frank Cesari, my mentor, we developed the first. Mouse model that was capable of replicating the virus, and that happened in the mid 90s. The creation of that model at a time in which most scientists couldn't study well the replication of the virus opened up a lot of new horizons, and、uh, so the model was very helpful to understand the mechanisms behind the HPV、uh, associated liver disease. The model served also to some extent、uh, industry to develop uh, the uh, antivirals that we are uh, using uh, today. 
and lots of more studies. So the single most important accomplishment by far was the creation of, of this uh, genetically modified mouse models of uh, HPV infection. I remember reading that the hepatitis B virus is a particularly difficult virus to study in animal models because of it, it is correct because like HIV and hepatitis C HPV infects only humans and chimpanzees and so the creation of the small animal models capable of replicating the virus that was very much easier to handle open up uh, lots of new horizons and on top of that eventually we moved towards the end of the 90s from mice to chimpanzees and for uh, over a decade uh, the chimp model was also used and so the two models together really define the pathogenesis of the disease as we uh, know of today. Has research in hepatitis B progressed at the pace and in the directions that you would have expected 20 years ago or is progress slower than you would have expected or in different pathways? How has it not met your expectations or been different? Well, let's say, uh, you know, I've been in this business for more than 30 years now. If you'd have asked me that question in the mid-90s, I would have said that in maximum 10, 15 years, we would have found a cure for hepatitis B. And we didn't. So eventually the virus turned out to be way more difficult to treat with drugs, with antiviral drugs. For instance, the treatment of hepatitis C was much easier to uh, accomplish. But now we know so much more about the biology of the virus uh, that I'm hopeful that in the next uh, five years or so, new treatments uh, may be available to definitely cure the chronic hepatitis B because the problem in the world is the chronic infection, not the acute infection. So again, the development of drugs is going a bit slower than expected. Unfortunately. Do you agree with the idea of reclassifying treatment or talking more about treatment as the functional cure as opposed to the absolute cure? Do you think that's a useful? It is very useful and even more importantly to me, and this is a discussion that possibly is going on more in Europe rather than U.S., is that there should be more again, discussion about early treatment. We now know that the virus rapidly integrates into the genome and viral integration is most probably an important risk factor for the development of cancer. So these days people are treated in a second phase of the chronic infection, not as soon as they're diagnosed because for a long time, people that are in the so-called immune tolerant phase and, no, and, and don't show any liver disease are not receiving any treatment. And uh, unfortunately, uh, during that time, viral integration does occur. Mm -hmm. and, and I think what would be important is to start treating patients pretty much like in HIV. You get diagnosed and you get treatment. And if you do that, I think that the chances of reaching a functional or absolute cure or even a partial cure 
are going to be much higher. So I would say that I agree with the concept of reaching partial functional cure, but I agree even more to the concept of start earlier treatment than what we're doing today. Is it because earlier treatment is more likely to prevent the progression to liver cancer, or is it because earlier treatment prevents the virus from becoming further integrated in the patient? Well, both. And the other reason is that the more you wait, the more your immune response, particularly the cellular immune response, becomes dysfunctional. And the rescuing of that dysfunction becomes harder and harder with novel, novel therapies. So an earlier treatment, which has a lot of implications, even socioeconomical implications, mm -hmm. as you can imagine, but an earlier treatment would stratify patients in a category that is uh, that should be more easy to handle, also for the, the development of new drugs. Mm -hmm. Speaking of new drugs, we've seen some disappointing decisions by pharmaceutical companies in the past year, companies that have decided that they're going to get out of hepatitis B. Are you surprised? Are you disappointed? Do you think? I'm very disappointed. Not surprised, but very disappointed. Some big companies, you know, invested a lot of money and uh, thought, like most people, including, you know, established scientists, that it was going to be uh, as easy to cure as hepatitis C. And that turned out to be not the case. But HPV remains out there as one of the major medical scourges of our time. And, uh, and as such, because of these, these hundreds of millions of people, it, it remains a high target for pharmaceutical markets. So I, I do believe that the moment someone will start showing some positive results, companies will come back, including big companies, because the biotech is still involved, but eventually, you know, biotech needs big pharma to progress uh, clinical studies towards phase three and, and so on and so forth. And so uh, as soon as, you know, as true companies got out, big companies got out, but new companies might uh, get in. And, uh, you know, uh, we're living in an era where Quite a few pharmaceutical, big pharmaceutical company abandoned infectious diseases before COVID, and uh, a lot of them now regret that mm -hmm. decision to mm -hmm. invest a lot of money in oncology and you know chronic diseases of different natures, and and so infectious diseases are you know under the radar these days. And so again, my conviction is that the moment. Some companies, even small companies, will start showing uh, good results towards a partial functional cure. I'm expecting that some big companies will, uh, will come back or will enter for the first time the field. That's good to hear. It seems also that there's a lot of interest in combination therapies, which in some cases requires two companies to collaborate. Sure, and that's obviously a, a big problem. But again, I'll just go back to what happened with HCC. No, HCV. So with hepatitis C, no one believed that a single drug could cure the disease. I didn't know uh, that. Pardon? I didn't know that. No, no one believed it. And they believed that the combination therapy uh, was required. But as drug companies developed of that class of drugs, drugs that were more and more and more potent against the virus, and same thing occurred with HIV, then 
good results uh, started to come out. So uh, the, the concept of combining different drugs is scientifically very meaningful, but is that just as meaningful to have one drug that is way more potent than what we have right now? So, you know, I think there are good hopes also to uh, think that at least some of the patients may be cured by much more potent antiviral drugs uh, that are uh, today under uh, development. And finally, earlier today was a meeting of the uh, emerging researchers and it was a pretty full room. Are you encouraged by the young scientists that you've gotten to know who are in HPV? Well, I always encourage people to follow their passion irrespective of what that passion is and what the field is. You know, now it's a tough time for HPV, but maybe it won't be that way in a couple of years. And maybe in a couple of years, no one will do any research in emerging respiratory viral infections or in some other disease. So I happen to fall in love with this virus. It's been the love of my life. And uh, if someone else, you know, has just half of the passion that that I had it when I was young. Go for it. How, how did that happen, by the way, well, for you? As always in in life, it happened by by chance. Actually, I you know when I was a undergrad student before getting a, a PhD in pathology, and I was in Italy, and it was in the early '80s. I got struck by a paper by uh, two guys in Philadelphia, mm-hmm. uh, Richard Palmer. Uh, which was a biochemist, and Rolf Brinster, who was uh, uh, a veterinary pathologist, and they invented the first transgenic mouse. So for the first time, they modified the genome of a little mouse. And a few years later, the guy that happened to to become my mentor, Frank Cesarius Krebs, produced what happened to be the first ever transgenic mouse expressing proteins derived from a pathogen. And the pathogen was the hepatitis B virus. Mm. And the proteins, uh, the envelope proteins of the hepatitis B virus. So as an undergrad student, I fell in love with the idea that all of a sudden we manipulate the genome of a mammal. That yeah. was an earth life. Yeah. It was the beginning of molecular biology. You know, a few years went by, I forgot about that paper. But then this guy, Frank Cesare, came out with the, with the mouse that was trying to model a very important human disease. And I was a young pathologist. Mm-hmm. I wanted to study pathology and pathogenesis of an important human disease. I didn't know anything about hepatitis B virus, but I thought that this guy in La Jolla was, was creating a, a cool set of reagents. Yeah. Yeah. And so I called him up. We met in Italy a few uh, months earlier, uh, as a matter of fact, because Frank was attending a meeting in Sorrento, near Mm. my Naples. I drove my little car (laughs) to Sorrento, met the guy. We ended up, uh, I guess, uh, liking each other. And just a few weeks later, I remember to this day, I bought a one-way TWA ticket. Uh, from Milan to California. Yeah. First time that I was going to California, and that's how everything got started. Thank you, Professor. I enjoyed talking. Thank you. 
Finally in this episode is a short interview with Dr. Barbara Testoni of Inserm in Lyon, France, where she is team leader of the HBV Persistence and New Antiviral Therapies Group. Dr. Testoni was a key player in the first ever Young Scientists Symposium at the HBV meeting in Japan. The fact that uh, people entering the field uh, d- don't don't feel lo- lost yes. in it, and don't feel this uh, distance between uh, some very known scientists and so on. So I think we had a good uh, a good exchange. Yes, uh, it was very friendly, friendly atmosphere, and for us it was very rewarding because we chatted with a lot of people, a lot of young scientists, and when you cross them now in the corridors or in the hall, they, they smile to you. Yeah. <laughs> and so this is good, this is good because it, it means that they are not, uh, so if they want to ask you a question, they will come to you. Yes. So, yeah, they are not. And there was a, a discussion about priorities and interest in specific research areas, wasn't there? Yeah, exactly. So the idea was to uh, have questions to arise. So what would be their uh, most important topic to address in HPV? So we had different uh, working groups and people gather around and change working group within the two hours of discussion. I think that there were much more questions than what we can address, <laughs> but it was good. And I think uh, Charlie will will give an, an update or a summary this afternoon uh, at the end of the meeting. Yeah. Good, good. You helped me understand better that it's the fine needle aspirates work that you presented. Tell me again the value of this work. Is it basic science or is it about treating patients? It's both. It's both because it's, it is based on a very strong expertise in molecular biology that was set up in years of research in, in cell culture, in vitro and so on, to really have sound techniques to detect CCC DNA and HPV RNA. But it's mostly translational studies, so something that bring the basic research into clinics. So it's not a clinical study, Yes. But it's something that could really serve to clinicians, not in the routine, of course, because it's an invasive technique, mm-hmm. but if it is applied carefully and in a rational manner, in the proof of concept uh, clinical studies for the new drugs, it really could be very informative. And I know that some uh, of the private companies are n- implementing this type of sampling now and anali- uh, analysis. Uh, It's an alternative, it is the best alternative to biopsies, which of course are more invasive and can't be done that frequently. Exactly. And studying hepatitis B, just looking at blood tests doesn't yield enough information really to to advance the research, correct? You, You really need to look at what's happening in the liver. I think so. We are we are in a in a moment where we still need the, the comparison between the blood and the liver to, to understand what's going on. What is a major need is biomarkers. So we have some for the virus. There are a couple of them, more than a couple of them, that are emerging as very interesting. So the correlated antigen, the circulating BRNA. We have this um, core versus phosphorylated core assay. Uh, the different uh, HPS components, uh, but all of them still need to be uh, understood 
in their value to predict or to uh, monitor the response to treatment and also the disease uh, evolution. Unfortunately, the, the, the biomarkers for the immune system are much more complicated. But uh, yeah, we heard here at the meeting something going on with, with, the, with the group of Adam Goering, so they are working hard on that, but it's much complicated. What else have you heard here that, that you found exciting or intriguing or surprising? Yeah, um, I, I saw that there's much interest in integration. So we listened to very, very good topics on the characterization of HPV integration. So this, this field is moving fast and it's important because integration is uh, responsible for HPS uh, production. Mm -hmm. HPS is also responsible for uh, at least some part of the immune exhaustion. And also HPS is the major endpoint of, of therapy. So understand uh, what drives uh, its expression would also help in developing new antiviral agents, of course. Yeah. I see, I see. Well, we'll see you in Chicago, I hope. Yeah, for sure. Very good. Thank you very much. Thank you, Barbara. Information about the 2024 International HPV Meeting set for September in Chicago will be available soon on the meeting website. That is www.hbvmeeting.org. Thank you for listening to this episode. Please subscribe for future episodes about Hepatitis B. If you have any questions, please direct them to info at hepb.org. You can support our programs at the Hepatitis B Foundation by going to www.hepb.org slash donate or click on the links provided on this page. We appreciate your support. Stay tuned for more episodes.